Well, good morning. Well, I got to try that again. Good morning. Hey, I'm Dave, one of the teaching pastors. I love coming here. You're just such a wonderful group of people. You got a great pastor and Joel, and so it's just great to be here with you. And we're in this series called the Ten Commandments, right? From the Old Testament, Exodus 20. And we kicked it off last week with this idea that the first commandment is that there is one God. He separates himself from everyone and everything else. He's transcendent. He's above us. And he's beyond us. And really the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments really have to do with our relationship with God. And so we're going to look at the second commandment, which is all about no idols. In other words, God does not want us to replace him with anything or anyone. And so we're going to look at this idea of no idols. Now, I want to ask you to think about something because we don't take a lot of time to do this. And it really is a kind of profound question. And the question is, why are you here? In other words, why are you on this planet? Why are you here at this time? What is the ultimate purpose of your being? And really, the Bible's super clear about this, that you're here because God wanted you here. You, 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 your parents might have said, oh, you're a mistake. You know, in the mind of God, you're not a mistake. Okay? Or, you, oh, you were an accident. It's just such a special thing to say to your child. just want to let you know you were an accident. Right? Or you were an unexpected surprise. Right? You heard that one? Yeah. No, in the eye of God, in the mind of God, you were planned from eternity past. You were here because God wanted you here. So then the question would go, well, if I'm here because God wants me here, then what does God want? Well, you were created for God. You were created because God loves you and God cares about you. God wants to shine his blessing upon you. God wants to share his grace and mercy with you. I mean, it's a profound thing, actually, that you are here. So I want to begin with a quote by John Piper, this kind of American pastor and writer. He says, remember, you have one life. That's all. You were made for God. Don't waste it. The reason you're here is you were made for God. You were made to enjoy God, worship God, serve God, have not just an earthly relationship with God, but an eternal relationship with God. So I want you to think about that for a minute because we're going to go through, you know, the second commandment. And the second commandment is really don't replace me. Don't have another relationship in your life more important than me. We're going to look at four observations. So I want to just share the first observation. We are all created to worship. Do you know anthropologists have studied humanity since, you know, time began? And here's what they came up with. Very interesting to me that no matter where a person grew up, no matter what time or era of life they grew up in, no, no matter what place in the planet they were born, no, no matter any factor, all people groups, 
all nations, all tribes worship something or someone. Isn't that fascinating? And, and I think as Christians we know why. Because God created us to worship. So the question really isn't will I worship. The question is who will you worship? See, that's why the Muslims worship. And, and, and that's why, you know, the Buddhists worship. That's why Christians worship. And, and, and I would even see, say atheists and agnostics worship science or they worship logic or they worship themselves. So all people from all time, in all areas, in all parts of the world worship because we were created to worship. And God wants us to worship him, the one and only true God. But our tendency is to replace God. Now, I know you say, oh, I, I never want to replace God. I wouldn't do that. Well, listen, the word worship literally means, I want to give you the definition of worship, the most simple one that I can. It literally means, in the Hebrew, to bow down. It means that you're going to acknowledge that God is above you. He's transcendent. And in humility and in reverence, you are going to bow down to God to give him praise, to serve him, to give to him, to tell others about him. All that is a sense. And the word worship is found 171 times in the Old Testament. It's found 26 times alone in the gospel. It's throughout all the scriptures that we were created to worship God. So the question you have to ask yourself is, am I worshiping God? And here's the other one, though, because most people say, yes, I worship God. No, are you a committed, fully committed worshiper of God? Or has something or someone taken the place of God? Because inside all of us, there's this tendency to replace God. And I'm going to show you what I mean. The Bible's really clear that God doesn't need any help in defining himself, though we want to define it. So I have my God box up here. Took a lot of preparation for this box. Thank you so much. My wife's here. She did it. So anyway, a God box, we all make this God box, and we say, God, I'm going to define you. And I'm going to redefine you. And I'm going to redefine you so that you will do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, where I want. And if you'll notice, the God box is small. And so we have to shrink God so that he will do what we want. We, we, we have to somehow put him in a box so we can control him. And, and, and people, I'm telling you, we do this all the time. Like a loving God, put him in a box, wouldn't allow that. A loving God, put him in a box, wouldn't do that. And it's absolute arrogance on our part to take the uncreated creator, the almighty God of the universe, and say, God, I get to decide who you are and who you're not. But we all have this tendency. Thomas Jefferson, this celebrated early father of this country, he literally took passages out of the Bible he didn't like, and he made his own Bible. But don't we kind of do that? 
We, we take this part and we, we kind of read it really quickly if we don't like it. We kind of just go over it if, if it's something that might be too convicting for us or doesn't fit our lifestyle. So, so God says, no, I am not going to allow you to define me. So here's the scripture we're going to look at today. Exodus 20, verse 4 and 5. You must not make for yourself an idol. So first of all, we got to stop there. What's an idol? An idol is anything or anyone that takes the place of God in your life. An idol is anything or anyone you need more than God. An idol is anything or anyone that gets more of your attention, more of your affection, more of your priority than God. Now in the Old Testament, an idol could be made of wood, it could be made of stone, it could be made of precious metals, and that's how they would craft these idols. And so we're going to look at that. So God says, you must not make for yourself an idol, any kind of image from anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You see, they would make idols of stone or wood or cloth or gold or silver of the sun, the stars, and the moon. And they would worship them. So God says, listen, I don't want you, you you grew up with the Egyptians, I don't want you to worship these heavenly things. And then he says, the earth. See, the Egyptians, along with many other ancient societies, they worshiped animals. And they took a small animal or a medium-sized animal and they gave deity to it. You see, someone working with wood would would work with the wood and shape it into an animal. Or as we're going to learn today, you would take gold and you would shape it into a calf. Or you would take stone and you would make a statue of an animal. If if you go in your history books, you will see all of these kind of animal figures that the people, now watch this, would take wood, stone, or metal, things that would actually have no power. If you don't believe me, go talk to a stick today. Go ahead. Like, stick, get up. Go, go talk to a stone today. Do it in front of your neighbors. I dare you. Right? Now think if you're God. You are God. You have freed these people from hundreds of years of bondage. You freed them. See, you and I have no concept of what it's like to be a slave. For hundreds of years, the people of God were in bondage to the Egyptians who worshiped false gods. God frees them. He brings all of these miraculous plagues to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. They go. God does miracles. He opens the waters. He brings manna from heaven, bread from heaven. He brings uh, meat from heaven. You can hit a rock and get water. Try that at home. He does all of these miracles for them, and they start going back to worshiping a piece of wood, a piece of stone, some precious metals. They would carry trinkets of these little idols. You would go to a house, and there'd be a section in a house, and that was where you would worship your God. And God is offended. 
They say, well, good thing we don't have wood and stone and we don't do that today. No, an idol is anything or anyone who takes the place of God. So it can be, Jesus said, money. You will either have one master, money or God. It could be possessions. It could be sex. It could be power. It can say, I need to be somebody. I need to be popular. Here's the biggest idol, I think, in our country. It's us. That life revolves around us. And God's job in my little box, my job isn't to serve him, surrender to him, that he's my life. No, God's job is to make me happy. God revolves around me. I don't revolve around him. The biggest idol in America is us. American idol, now you get it. It just came to me. Or in the sea. So they would make these sea creature idols because they were terrified of the sea. He says, you must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God. Now watch this. God knows we have this tendency. God knows we have this tendency. And God says, listen, I am. He uses the phrase, I am. This is a phrase in the scriptures reserved only for God. And it means that God is self-existent. What does that mean? That means God has always been and will always be. That means nobody created God and God created everything else. God is the uncreated creator. That means God is above us. He's beyond us. There's no one like God. I mean, it's a profound thing. So we are so undone, we are so unaware when we think we can be on the same level as God. So he says, you must not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord. I'm the Lord above every Lord. I'm the God of heaven and earth. And I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods with a small g. So, well, man, I didn't, I didn't know God was jealous. There's two kinds of jealousy in the scriptures. One is unhealthy. That's when you say, you have something that I want, and I'm jealous because of it, and I'm willing to lie, steal, cheat, or even hurt you to get that. That's, that's just selfishness, that's sin, that's insecurity. But there's a holy jealousy in the Bible. And that's of a father who loves his children and doesn't want his children to go get captured and kidnapped by an enemy that hates God and hates them, and his name is Satan. That's like a husband who says, I get jealous, or a wife who gets jealous if they see their spouse in the arms of another. That is holy jealousy. So here God is saying, I love you. You're here because I created you. The only reason you're here is because I created you. I want to bless your life. And not just for this life, but the life to come. But when you go into the arms of another small God, that hurts me. That wounds me. I'm jealous about that because here's the thing with all idols, all false gods. They promise what they can't deliver. They're a horrible mistress. And not only will they not deliver, 
They will put you into bondage. That leads to damage and sometimes even death. So God says, I love you. I'm jealous. I'm not going to allow this. This is not okay. So I want to ask you a question. Who is God's rival in your life? Who or what is God jealous of in your life? Is it money? I mean, honestly, do you spend more time thinking about money than God? Do you think you have to have more money than you have to have God? I think that's a lot of Americans. Is it position? You got to have that job. You got to get that career path. Here's the other thing about an idol. A lot of people don't think about this. A good thing, family, money's a good thing. Nothing wrong with it. Position, nothing. Watch this. A good thing can turn into a bad thing when it becomes the ultimate thing. Family is a super good thing. God created families. But if you love your family more than you love God, that good thing can turn into a bad thing because it becomes an idol and more important than God. And so the very second command is don't replace me. Don't replace me with something inferior. Don't replace me with a mistress that'll never deliver on what she promises. But we all have this tendency to do it. That's powerful stuff. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who will lead us. So you know the backdrop. God would call Moses to the mountain to give him directions to bless the people, to take them to the promised land. Well, Moses is up there a little too long and people are getting a little too impatient. And these people of God, they complain and they whine, even though, watch this, God had done more miracles in front of their eyes than anyone in the history of the world had ever seen. So Moses is up there a little too long. How long will you wait on God until you go to your backup plan? See, we all have idols in our pockets. And, and we all have a certain time limit. And we give God that time limit. But when he doesn't come through, we go to the backup plan. Well, they got a backup plan. So they gather around Aaron Come on, they said, let us make some gods who can lead us. See, they're used to false gods. Remember, they were in Egypt. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. Can you believe that? It's great to be a leader of God's people sometimes. You know, this wacko Moses up there talking to God. We don't know what happened to this quack. Oh, who brought us out from the land of Egypt. Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from the ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, watch this. Remember, a false god is something that can do nothing. What can a golden calf do to you? Nothing. But now they're taking the power of God, and now they're saying, oh, it was the calf that brought us 
out of Egypt. You've got to be kidding me. It, it was this piece of precious metal that did all these miracles. That's what we do when we, when we remove ourselves from God and when we replace God, we start making up stories. And we give, give profound attribute and we give profound success to things because why? We become superstitious. We say, man, I got I to gotta wear this chain. You know, I got, I got to take this St. Christopher with me everywhere I go because there's somehow power in it. When, when I've traveled around Europe and, and there's all these remnants. Oh, this was a piece of the cross. Just touch it. It'll do a miracle. You know, one scholar said, you know, there are so many pieces of the cross scattered around Europe. It would be a 500 foot tall tree. And then what we do is we take that piece and we say it must have God-like qualities and we worship the piece instead of God. And that's what they're doing. Because here's what's going to happen, though. You will end up serving whatever or whoever you worship and chances are your kids will too. This is the sad story of the history of Israel. Time and time again, God rescues them. They don't deserve it. They haven't earned it. God rescues them. God starts to bless them. He forgives them. And then guess what? They replace him. And so it says a lot in the Old Testament, the first generation, they saw God. The second generation, they heard about God. The third generation, it's who is God. Do you really want that for your family? See, here's what the scripture's talking about that, that when you and I worship an idol, the chances are our kids will too. And the chances are our grandkids will and our great-grandkids. It's passed down for generations. So John Calvin, this great reformer, says every human heart is an idol-making factory. He was one of the great reformers for the Reformation. Our hearts are idol-making factories just like they were in Israel, and we have to be careful. And here's why. Because God says to the people, I lay the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation of all those who reject me. Now that is like scary stuff. Now I want to let you know later, even in Moses, it says that God will not pass the sins on to the parents, that God will forgive those kids. They don't have to carry the actual sin. But here's what we know. Habits from parents get passed down to kids. Patterns from parents get passed down to kids. One of the graduate school classes I took looked at family tree systems. So we all had to do the family tree system. And after a week of doing this, we were stunned that in my family, for example, alcohol has been in my family uh, addiction for generations. Divorce has been in my family tree for generations. Other guys would say, well, this happened and there's generations. Now, some families had these beautiful family trees of blessing and success and helping society, and loving God. Whatever patterns you set as a parent, God says there's a likelihood you're going to pass those down 
to your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So this is what we need to think about. When I'm worshiping a false god, when there's some idol that's dominating my life, it is not only going to hurt me, it can hurt my children and grandchildren. So now I read a couple weeks ago in preparation for this message, DNA experts saying that our DNA is constantly being modified, just like the brain chemistry is modified by our choices, And they're saying that your DNA gets modified by your choices and that DNA literally gets passed down to your kids. That means the choices I make just don't affect myself or my family. They're going to affect my generations behind me. Confirming what God has just said. So we got to take this serious. We've got to take this so seriously. This is a big deal. So what's your idol? What gets more of your attention than God? What gets more of your affection than God? What do you need more than God? Now please don't give me the Christian answer. Nothing. No, if God looks at your life, what does he see? Fortunately, this ends very positively God actually wants to pour out his love on those who choose to worship him. That's actually the desire of God. So God gives this warning, hey, be careful that you don't worship idols because it's not just going to hurt you but generations after you. But he says, but if you're going to worship me and you're going to love me and you're going to obey me, I'm going to pour out my love to you and your generations for thousands of years. Look at this. This is This is incredible. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. What's what's he saying? God's saying, I love the word lavish. It, It means extravagant. Right? It's this extravagance of God. So God says, what I really want to do is I want to pour out my love to you like a waterfall that never ends. And I'm going to pour it out for thousands of generations, and here's the qualification, to those who love me and those who obey me. Because we learned last week that Jesus says, if you really love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's, that's how I'm going to know. He's not saying we're going to be perfect. He's not. That's why we need com- communion to remind us of the forgiveness of Christ. He's not saying we don't struggle. Actually, the second commandment says in all of us, there is this idol-making factory, and we need to keep remembering to keep God where he belongs. So I want to give you two steps to think about. All throughout the Old Testament, when Israel started building idols and breaking God's heart, he would say to them, there would be this new king. A king was like the spiritual leader of the nation of Israel. He would say, tear them down, take them down. So here's what I want you to think about right now. Whatever the idol or idols are in your life, I want you to ask God to tear them down, to take them down. And then I want you to repent. And repent means to turn around. So God, please tear down these false gods and God help me turn away from them, turn around and come back to you, the one and only true God of the universe. 
so that I can worship you. I can bow down before you. I can acknowledge you as my Lord and King and Master of everything in my life so that you then can pour out your lavish love and blessings, not only on my life, but on my kids' life and grandkids and and all the way down the line. And so actually the second commandment is is really heavy duty. It's, It's a really big deal. Because God knows we have this tendency to replace him or to reduce him or to restrict him. And he will not allow that. You see, I think a lot of us, I'm going to take an analogy of a Broadway play. A lot of us in life act like we are the lead actor of the play. We're the center of the play. We're the main character of the play. And when we live like that, and we do it often, that means God is relegated to a supporting role. If he gets any role at all sometimes in our lives. And when God's relegated to a supportive role, that makes us the lead role. That diminishes God and reduces God. And God will not allow that. He will not allow that. God's got to be the lead in your life. He's got to be the lead. He's got to be the Lord. He's got to be the master. He is the Savior. Why? Because that's who he is. And he will take no other place. See, some of you are thinking, well, why do I keep struggling so much in my life? And you've never taken a second to step back and go, I have idols that compete with God. I want to have God, and I want to have my idol. Or some of you, you just honestly, practically in your life. God isn't leading your life. God isn't guiding your life. You are. You're the idol. And so I want to do something kind of actually pretty serious. I just want you to Take some time with me in prayer and admit to God how you're really doing with him. See, if God's really my God, can I just say a few practical things? Then I am going to worship him. I'm going to make worship a consistent thing in my life. I'm going to show up on Sundays. And honestly, I'm going to come on time. I wouldn't dare walk to a work meeting late, why would I do that with God? I'm going to look at my priorities. And I'm going to say, are they making room for God? I'm going to look at my choices and say, God, you need to help me because I kind of pushed you aside. But the core is, who's God, you or him? So let's pray. God, this is kind of one of those solemn messages. God, I even think of Israel. You did all these miracles for them. 
your freedom. You were taken into the promised land. But the older generation didn't get to go in because God, they put idols before you and they whined and they complained and they didn't really love you and they certainly didn't obey you. God, I want to thank you that you created us for yourself. You created us because you love us and you want relationship with us. And like a loving father, you want to bless us and guide us and direct us. But God, I want to apologize. I personally want to apologize. I want to apologize for my friends because we have idols. So God, I'm going to ask you to tear them down. Just take them down, God. In your power and in your strength, take them down. Destroy them. God, rip them out of our hearts and rip them out of our minds. Don't let us go back to them. Then God, help us to turn around to the one true God. Help us to come back to you. God, help us to worship you and to prioritize you and to serve you and give to you and to tell others about you because you're the Lord of the universe. You're the king above every king. You're the Lord above every Lord. So God, we bow down to you right now. We acknowledge your greatness. We're so grateful for your forgiveness that you give us another chance. So God, we love you and we submit to you. You are our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.